Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 15. If you need to locate a Bible, there should be one near you, in front of you, underneath a seat, and this would be located on page 61. And that Bible, making our way through the Ten Commandments slowly, commandment number eight, Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, simply reads this. You shall not steal. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. It's good to be back uh, with you this week. Uh, Special thanks to our missions committee, um, especially Rachel and Katie for all the efforts uh, a few weeks ago. Having guest preachers uh, is a significant uh, Bonus to me personally, because I get to listen to somebody else, and so do you. I get to worship with my family and do some things during the week that I don't always get to uh, get to, Uh, so I'm very thankful to be back. The Eighth Commandment gets us into the idea of stealing and property and taking things that don't belong to us, things that are not ours, or maybe being victims of theft. But as we are seeing, and we're guided, especially through the larger catechism through this study and Heidelberg, it goes much deeper than that, to the heart of greed itself, but also the call to generosity. So this morning we will look briefly at what is forbidden regarding property generally, what is commanded regarding property, and then how can we live in a greedy world? Well, what is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? Firstly and generally, we would have to say all outward theft. Heidelberg number 110 on what is forbidden. He forbids not only outright theft and robbery, which governing authorities punish, but in God's sight, theft also includes all evil tricks and schemes designed to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. Painting with a broad brush, again, we see Heidelberg. So there's several things to highlight here, including even what we would know as slavery, stealing someone, which is actually directly condemned in the next chapter, in Exodus chapter 21, verse 16. Kevin DeYoung highlights several things from This catechism, question and answer, Uh, again, we see fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, which is condemned again in Exodus chapter 22, verse 25. All this this case law that's coming up is going to apply even more specifically all that's implied in commandments like this. Cheating cheating employees from wages is condemned in James chapter 5, verse 4. We could say insurance fraud. We could say plagiarism. Online stealing. 
defrauding the government, etc. Westminster Larger Catechism 142 adds language, like I just mentioned, of man-stealing. Receiving anything that's stolen, oppression, extortion, usury, bribery, idleness, prodigality, wasteful gaming. De Young again also gives the category of taking something that doesn't belong to us when there was an opportunity to work for it, but we didn't. Which the larger catechism goes back to and says, idleness. I could be stealing from my boss by not working, not working enough, not doing an honest day's work. Stealing from the company, stealing from clients. Paul has a lot to say about that. Paul was a very hard worker. He was a church planter, a pastor, all kinds of other things uh, to raise his own support. Ephesians 4.28, 1 Thessalonians 4.11-12, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, mostly are anchoring around the idea of work. That being a good thing, that's, that's pre-fall. That we're actually called to work or don't eat. Proverbs has much to say about that as well. So there's the, the idea of the outward thievery by just taking what isn't ours. Maybe that's overtly, maybe that's covertly, as probably often is the case in our age. But even the, the lack of a work ethic. Bosses or companies that charge too much just to make more profit at the expense other people. What's behind all of that, though? Because we could go on for days about all of the different ways that we could possibly be stealing or taking what isn't ours. Greed. That is something that is forbidden regarding property. That's the heart issue. That's behind the Eighth Commandment. Back to Heidelberg 110. In addition, God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. 1 Corinthians 6.10 The greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there's the whole scope of greed itself, which gets at the heart issue. We're greedy. We never have enough. We always want more, which leads often to taking what isn't ours. It doesn't belong to us. What we, what we shouldn't have. We never have enough. I'm not content. This gets into the ninth commandment of dishonesty and the tenth commandment of wanting what isn't ours doing due to lack of contentment, but I'm going to stick to the, the greed this morning. Jesus spoke most often about materialism and money. And it's probably really only gotten worse in 2,000 years. Matthew 19 details his encounter with the rich young ruler who asked what good deed he must do to have eternal life. And many of us are familiar with this story. But uh, shockingly, outside of keeping most of the commandments that we've been talking about, he adds and says, Sell what you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, 
for he had great possessions. So again, we can focus on all the different ways in particular that we've taken, or maybe we've had things taken from us. But why is this happening? Why are we doing this? It's greed. I don't ever have enough. So I have to take your stuff. And I think that's going to make me whole. If I just had that, if I just had this, if I just had a little bit more, if I had what you have, I'd feel better about myself. I'd have more comfort in life. I'd have more happiness. And Jesus was trying to show the rich young ruler that doesn't bring happiness. That's not going to bring satisfaction. And in fact, it's preventing you from following me because you won't follow me over these other things. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus says, with great difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of God. We would have to say, what, what is rich? What does that mean? Globally, I would probably say if you have an American passport or if you're a U.S. citizen, you're probably wealthy, probably rich. This is probably a massive stumbling block to you and I spiritually. We hardly even recognize it. Ecclesiastes 5.10, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is vanity or a chasing after the wind, or a vapor. I don't think that we really believe that. I know in my heart often I don't. You mean to tell me that my money, my wealth, isn't actually going to satisfy me? You mean if I didn't end up earning more, I wouldn't be more satisfied? Is that really true? Solomon, most likely the author of Ecclesiastes, who had more money than anybody ever has, more stuff than anybody ever will have, writes and says, yes, you will not be satisfied with any level of wealth, with any level of income. But actually, the greed is, is, is just worse than that. Malachi 3.8 states, what would be a way of spiritual purification, of obedience, of us dealing with our greed as believers, as Christians. How are we going to cope with this? Ever since Abram gave 10% of his property and his money to King Melchizedek, God's people are supposed to give. That is a way of purifying our hearts. That I am not my stuff. That I trust the Lord Above my stuff, I can actually give some of it away and cope. What if we don't do that? What if in our heart of hearts and in our greed, we say, I can't cope with giving God's people 10 to 15% and, and keeping the rest as a steward? The prophet Malachi says, then we are robbing the Lord. How? By denying him what is his. Well, it's all his. 
You and I don't actually own our stuff. We're stewards of it. It all comes from Him. But if we don't give back what He's asked us to give back in the Old Testament, Malachi 3.8, tithes and contributions to the temple of God's people, Yahweh says He's being robbed. Maybe in another a spiritual realm, Puritan Thomas Watson, in his book on the Ten Commandments, he says that God wants us specifically one day a week. And he says breaking the fourth commandment is breaking the eighth commandment. Because he wants us to worship him, to think of him, to be enraptured by the gospel on the first day of the week. But, but to not do that, Watson would say, is again robbing the Lord. All kinds of things are forbidden. In the Eighth Commandment. But one question to ask ourselves, is our life mostly about ourselves and what we want? What kind of a problem do we have in our own hearts with, with greed, with stuff, with looking at other people and, and wanting something? Again, we're getting off into the other commandments, but they're, they're interrelated. We may want to ask ourselves, how are we robbing the Lord? Why am I not obeying this? Why would I be tempted to just keep what's his and to not give? Why would I be tempted to take what's not mine? Why do I need more? Well, to answer some of those questions, I think we have to look at what is commanded regarding property generally. Protection of neighbors, property, and good. There is a complete reversal that's commanded in the Eighth Commandment. Not simply to, to don't take what's not yours, but to completely be a selfless, outward-facing person with your stuff so much that you would care about the suffering of someone else who may not have, who may generally be suffering Genuinely. Back to Heidelberg, number 111, on what is commanded. That I do whatever I can and may for my neighbor's good. That I treat others as I would like them to treat me. The reversal. See, our entire culture is built on greed, in a sense. I'm just doing what I need to do to get everything done that I need for my family And don't get in my way. And here Heidelberg is saying, I'm actually going to do everything that I can for your good. But but even specifically, protecting what's yours. I'm not simply worried about my stuff. I want to protect what's yours. If you don't have, I want to come in and help and fix that. With what I have. We see this all over Scripture. But, I mean, again, even looking at the case law, 
In Exodus chapter 22, it confirms that the Bible teaches the goodness of stuff, the goodness of property, the goodness of, of private property, that we, we are acting in godliness and holiness to try to protect our own private property, to protect each other's private property. Uh, the Bible is very clear that the stuff that we have is from Him. It's, it's good. The, stuff, the wealth that we have, homes, cars, uh, other things, it's not sinful to have these things. It's not sinful, those things in and of themselves. Who made them? God did. Who gave them to us? He did. The stuff is not bad. The stuff is not wrong. But it's all been given as a steward not to attach our hearts around. Not to put our value in. Because what if someday you end up being like Job? You have everything taken away. That can happen in a few hours in the stock market. That can happen in one day with a significant medical calamity. It can all be taken away. We're not to build our identity on these things. I was going to flip over. I didn't write it in my notes. Back to Westminster Larger Catechism in 141. There, there is a myriad of things that are the, the duties required in the Eighth Commandment. Truth, faithfulness, and justice, and contracts, and commerce between man and man, rendering to everyone his due. Restitution of goods unlawfully detained from the right owners thereof. Giving and lending freely according to our abilities and the necessities of others. Moderation of our judgments, wills, and affections concerning Worldly goods, moderation concerning our affections of our worldly goods. That needs to be a bumper sticker in America today. Moderation in the stuff. More is not better. More doesn't make us happier. But it can certainly strangle us spiritually. A provident care and study to get keep, use, and dispose these things which are necessary and convenient for the sustenation of our nature, suitable to our conditions. A lawful calling. A job. To provide for ourselves. Diligence in it. Doing a good job. Earning what is ours. But using it with frugality. Avoiding unnecessary lawsuits and suretyship or other like engagements and an endeavor by all just and lawful means to procure, preserve, and further the wealth and outward estate of others as well as our own. Of others. Not, not just my own. Shocking. The, the relevance of Exodus itself, but even the 16th, 17th century catechism and confession. We think about Matthew 25. The parable of the talents with the absolute laziness and idleness and, and misuse of what God's made us stewards over. The condemnation thereof. But there is, again, not simply the call to, to be honorable as a businessman or a businesswoman with the finances of other people and to be a leader in integrity and honesty in the financial services industry, or in any industry. 
but our heart would actually be turned toward the need of others. And not simply, do I have enough? How am I going to get more? And do I have more than you? But again, what's the deeper call? If, if the deeper commandment is against greed, well, I'm a preacher, so the next word has to start with G as well. And I would call it generosity. So would Heidelberg, number 111 again. And that I work faithfully so that I may help the needy in their hardship. Obviously, I have to do that by being generous. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1-5 through 5 mentions a gift that's being prepared by Gentile churches, many of which uh, Paul or Titus planted, Timothy maybe pastoring them. But they're Gentile converts. And Paul is traveling to many of them and sending other pastors or apostles or presbyters to other churches, again, with Greek backgrounds who speak Greek, who are saying, hey, we need to raise money. You need to keep giving to your local churches where you are, but we're going to need more because there's Jewish converts in Jerusalem that are struggling. There's a lot going on there. They're not told to just stop giving to the general fund because there's a need somewhere else. They're told, we're going to need more. Because there's believers who don't even look like you, who don't even speak the same language as you, who don't, who don't come from your ethnic background, who are at a different part of the Mediterranean basin, but they're believers. They're taking up an offering above and beyond the tithe. And they do. They become radically generous because of the needs of people they've never met. Because of the unity of their faith. Verses 6 to 15 in that chapter give a wonderful theology of tithing and and money, that it's to be done uh, cheerfully, uh, not under compulsion or reluctantly, that both the giver and the recipient are going to be blessed in and through this generosity. But there's also the idea of giving with a, a purpose, as the catechism said, helping people who are struggling. That, that call to have an outward, selfless lifestyle that hears there's a need and a call and says, I'm ready. My, my checking account is ready for that because I've built in a frugality. I've built in generosity for those who are hurting for various reasons. You'd see that in Acts chapter 2, verse 45, where the church is young, but it is unified around the teachings of the apostles, around prayer, around the breaking of the bread, and of the sharing of their possessions. Not that they didn't have private property. But they are unified not simply for an hour, one day a week, they are forming a new community, a new people that are going to be radically generous with each other and those that are around them with everything. 
Paul will say to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, as he's going to Rome, and he knows he'll never see them again. He says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Those are his parting words to to elders in the Ephesian church. A reminder of the core of the gospel. But then he goes on to say, there's an inheritance that we have as believers. And so therefore, what does that look like? We minister to our own needs, coveting no one else's stuff and spending more than we have because there's people that we need to help an outward-facing lifestyle. And friends, again, this generosity that involves time. My time is not my own. My time is, is not just my employer's. My time belongs to the Lord. All of the talent that I've been given, that you've been given, it's It's not all to be donated over to your employer. It's not simply yours to hoard. It's yours to share. Where are you going to share it? Here first. Then to those around us. A unity in the community circled around the Trinity. It is more blessed to give than to receive. How are we doing on that? How are we doing with with being honest and integral people with our money, with our finances, with our time, with our talents? Are we willing to donate our time, our talents, to the work of the church, to the service of the community, to the service of the kingdom? Beyond what we're paid to do. How are we doing on our finances and our giving? We ask all members, when they take the membership vows, do you promise to support the church and its worship and work to the best of your ability? What do you think that means? Everything that we've been discussing. Time, talent, finances. Is this the core of who you are? Are these people your people? Are you fully committed? This is part of what it looks like. With regards to our stuff, which often has our hearts wrapped more than anything. But you might be asking then, how, how can I change? How can I live in a culture which is obsessed with stuff? that's obsessed with, I just want to watch a show or a game and I'm hit with a thousand commercials. Buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this. Do this, do this, do this. Go here, go here, go here. Or you're you're missing out or you don't have. There is only one way that you can cope with that. There's only one way that you can change. 
If you're hearing anything I'm saying this morning and seeing your life out of alignment. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. If we're taking what's not ours, we think the Lord has not given us what we owe, what we're owed, or what we need. And Paul is very clear. We deserve nothing from Him because we were His enemies, because we're all greedy sinners. And yet, He has given us an immeasurable amount of riches in His grace. You have everything you need in the Lord. You don't need anything else if you have Him. He puts it differently to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Friends, that's worth memorizing. You're rich. Not because you're a U.S. citizen. It's because you know the Lord Jesus. You've received something that you can never lose. Because you didn't earn it. It was a free gift. You didn't deserve it because of your sin. And yet you've been given wealth and generous amounts of everything that you need spiritually. He's worth the sacrifice. So change your lifestyle. If it's out of alignment, There's forgiveness for robbing the Lord of what's His. What would a changed heart look like? I'll finish with this. It's a story, but it's very, very short. It comes from the Lord Jesus. He describes the kingdom of heaven in a very short, succinct way. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he goes and buys the field, because it's worth everything. And that's what you already have. So we can stop the greed. We can become generous financially, with our time, with our gifts. Be other-focused. 
Because that's who the Lord Jesus is to us. Let's pray together. Lord Christ, we thank you for these words from the Eighth Commandment, which go so much deeper than telling us to stop stealing stuff. That is commanded. That is forbidden. Please help us in our greed over our stuff, in the use of our time, and thinking the world revolves only around us and our needs and our wants and our desires. That is not in conformity with you, Jesus, who laid aside everything that we might have everything. Through your poverty, we have already become rich. Would you align our hearts with your generosity that we would be a witness to a materialistic, greedy culture? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.